0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Church Podcast. To help us set the tone for the year ahead, we're in a five-week teaching series on the spiritual practice of simplicity. A simple life may feel like loss, but is actually great gain. Thanks for joining us as we learn the way of Jesus together. Good morning, everybody. My name is Brian. I'm so glad we get to spend a few minutes together today uh, talking about God's Word and what He has to say to us. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Romans. It's in the New Testament, probably about three-fourths of the way. Through your Bibles. We're gonna to get to Romans chapter twelve in just a few minutes. If you don't have a Bible, I wanna encourage you to take a Bible from the seat rack in front of you and make notes in that or circle that. If you don't own a Bible, you can take Alison Fowler, who serves in Ethiopia with her husband Craig, was home for a few weeks and after the service she came up front and she said, Is it really okay if I take a Bible? One of our missionaries, right? Is it really okay if I take a Bible? We're like Alison, yes, you can take a Bible. So fast forward to this past December where John and Laura Rollett and Sue Cooper went to visit the Fowlers in Ethiopia, and they went to a Sosa a village out by Sudan, and they were working with an evangelist named Tesfai who happened to ask them if he could get a copy of an English Bible. And Laura and John said, well, or Allison said, well, it just so happens I have an English Bible for you. And so Testify has a copy of an English Bible. He preaches to uh, people in Asosa. And I texted Craig just last week. We were WhatsApping, And he said they baptized five people after preaching one day the good news. And so here's what I have to say. When we say take a Bible, we mean take a Bible. Take a Bible. Have a copy of God's Word. Whether it's for you to read, we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. So as I was thinking of the year 2000. How many of you, when I say the year 2007, you're like, yeah, that was like four or five years ago? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Seriously. It was 17 years ago. 17 years. So to refresh ourselves of what was going on in 2007, I thought I would share some current events from that year. George W. Bush was president. There was an escalation or surge in the Iraq war. It was the deadliest year for U.S. troops in that conflict. Stamps were 41 cents. I don't even know how much they are. I should probably just say that's when we used to mail things. I, I don't, we don't even mail things anymore. That was the year the housing bubble burst, and we entered into a financial crisis that would last for the next several years. The Indianapolis Colts defeated the Chicago Bears in the Super Bowl, 2007. Spider-Man 3 was the top grossing movie at the bottom No, we. And on January 9th, 2007, in San Francisco, at the Mac World Conference, Steve Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone to the world. On June 29th that year, the first iPhone was sold. It was also late 2006-2007 that Facebook opened up to anybody with an email address. It was the year that a micro-blogging app called Twitter became its own platform. It was year one of the cloud, wherever and whatever that is. And it was the first year of the app store, along with a list of other technological breakthroughs all around 2007, the start of a new digital age. The world has radically changed in a few short years. In in recent memory, none of us had a smartphone or Wi-Fi access. I was thinking about this. I can't believe my parents let me drive four hours away to college multiple times without being able to get in touch with me for four hours. live in an age of digital noise. We have so much information at our fingertips. Consider some of the following statistics from the American Psychological Association. Americans check their phones approximately 144 times per day. For people between 18 and 24, the average is nearly double that, nearly 300 times. Most people honestly have no idea how long they spend on their phones. On average, we spend more than four hours a day on our phones or devices, another four hours on television or streaming channels, and that amounts to 56 hours a week, 224 hours per month, and 112 full days a year. 112 full days of our 365 days are spent on a screen. 80% of Americans check their phones within 30 minutes of waking up. Half of Americans check their phones in the middle of the night. Nearly 5 out of 10 Americans agree with this statement, I can't imagine my life without my smartphone. This is hilarious. There are now medical diagnoses such as texting thumb, two-thirds of American agree that periodically unplugging or taking a break from their digital devices would be good for their health. Barely 25% of those people have actually done so. Smartphones, tablets, social media apps like Facebook, X, formerly Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat, WhatsApp, Reddit, Discord, Twitch, Tumblr, Pinterest, 24-hour news channels, streaming services like Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, Paramount+, Plus, Roku, YouTube TV, Apple+. Plus. Sling TV. (laughs) Let's just stop, because I just want to name reality. Your blood pressure is rising in the room. We're naming this reality of the digital age we live in, and it's just everywhere, and we find ourselves in it. And if you think you don't struggle... That you're the one who has this under control. I want us to take a quick assessment called maybe put a check by the ones you struggle with as I read through this, or if it's a little embarrassing to put checks next to the ones you struggle with, just make a mental note of where you find yourself. Number one, do you find yourself spending more time on your smartphone than you realize? Number two, do you find yourself mindlessly passing time on a regular basis by staring at your smartphone? Number three, do you seem to lose track of time when on your smartphone? Number four, do you find yourself spending more time texting, tweeting, or emailing as opposed to talking to people in person? Number five, has the amount of time you spend on your smartphone been increasing? Number six, do you wish you could be a little less involved with your phone? Number seven, do you sleep with your smartphone turned on under your pillow or next to your bed on a regular basis? Number eight, do you find yourself viewing and answering texts, tweets, and emails at all hours of the day and night, even if it means interrupting other things you're doing? Number nine, do you text, email, tweet, Snapchats, your productivity at times? Number 11, do you feel reluctant to be without your cell phone or smartphone, even for a short time? 12, do you feel ill at ease or uncomfortable when you accidentally leave your smartphone in the car or at home, have no service, or have a broken phone? Number 13, when you eat meals, is your cell phone or smartphone always part of the table place setting? Number 14, when your smartphone rings, beeps, or buzzes, do you feel an intense urge to check for texts, tweets, emails, updates, and so on? Last question, number 15, do you find yourself mindlessly checking your smartphone many times a day, even when you know there is likely nothing new or important to see? Full disclosure as we take that, probably the only way to get less than a five is not to own a smartphone. And if you don't struggle with this, if you own a smartphone and you don't struggle with this, I seriously mean this, I, I'm being straight serious here, please reach out and contact me those boundaries. But, but I identify with a lot of those, and my guess is there's a number of people in this room and watching online who identified with more of those questions than you're comfortable with. And I think these questions reveal there's a universal problem with our digital intake and digital noise that so easily distracts us. And maybe, just maybe, technology is a bigger issue than we want to think it is or we admit it is. Listen, there's much good about technology. I don't want to go back to a time before 2007, I don't want to go back to a time before Waze or Google Maps. I remember when Sarah and I were first married, we flew to California to see family, and I remember multiple fights as we drove around San Francisco, and Sarah is reading this giant map in the passenger seat. I don't want to go back to that. And rest easy. At the end of the service today, I'm not going to ask you to bring your digital device by watching news. Checking social media, posting to your platforms, using an online dating app, or using search engines for research. You are not sinning doing that. But as followers of Jesus, we live in a digital world, and we need to be mindful about what we give our attention to. And we need to be very careful about renewing our minds to give our attention to the way of Jesus. It's all about being mindful. So we're in a series to begin the year called Simplify, and we're discovering, if you're following in your notes, that while simplicity feels like a loss, it's actually great gain. It leads to freedom. And if you haven't already been able to tell, today we're going to talk about simplifying the digital noise in our lives. And the reason this is important to talk about, then culture informs how we think and behave. I mean, I'm just convinced if we are not intentionally choosing to be discipled by Jesus, then we are choosing to be uninten- then we're unintentionally being discipled by the world. If we're not intentionally being discipled by Jesus, we're unintentionally being discipled by culture. And so we have to talk about this. The second reason we need to talk about, it, if you're following in your notes, when we intake so much digital noise, it's hard to hear the voice of God. It's hard to hear the voice of God. And if we can't hear the voice of God speaking through his word or through prayer or through conversations with real people, then we're not going to be able to give ourselves fully to the way of Jesus. As we begin, I want to credit two books that helped in studying for this topic. I would recommend them to you if you have an interest in this subject. The first is Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport, Digital Minimalism. And the second book that was helpful was How to Break Up with Your Phone by Catherine Price. Both technology use and what it does to our brains and our bodies, some of the science behind it and the motivation behind it. And to do that, I'm going to be quoting a number of people, and then I want us to turn and see what the Bible has to say and how Jesus offers us a better way. So first, I want to begin with this assumption. I want everybody to hear this. Here's the assumption I want to enter into this conversation with. People who struggle with the overuse of technology are not weak-willed or stupid. People who overuse screens are not necessarily lazy. Instead, billions of dollars have been invested to create addiction. Cal Newport, in the book I just referenced, Digital Minimalism, wrote this, We didn't sign up for the digital lives we now lead. They were instead, to a large extent, crafted in boardrooms to serve the interests of a select group of technology investors. These technology companies are competing for your attention, and they use the good brain chemicals and rewind loops that drive these addictions are released and activated when we check our phones. Pastor and author John Mark Comer wrote this, There are literally thousands of apps and devices intentionally engineered to steal your attention and with it your money. Reminder, your phone doesn't actually work for you. You pay for it, yes, but it works for a multi-billion dollar corporation in California, not for you. You're not the customer, you're the product. It's your attention that's for sale, along with your peace of mind. Catherine Price, in the book that I mentioned, How to Break Up With Your Phone, states, have you ever wondered why social media apps are all free? Twitter has changed that a little bit, but for the most part, they're all free. She goes on to say, it's not because their creators are driven by a philanthropic urge to help the world share selfies. It's because we are not actually the customers, and the social media platform itself is not the product. Instead, the customers are advertisers, and the product being sold is our attention. Sean Parker, the founding president of Facebook, spoke openly about this. He said, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first. I want to pause on this quote because what I'm about to read is the reason all apps are created, all social media was created, all searches are created. This is the reason why these exist. To answer the question, how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible? That is the question going into every new app being created. And that means we need to sort of give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or a post. Now, I want to talk about dopamine for just a minute. Steve mentioned this, and the founding president of Facebook said dopamine's important to get people to stick with our platform, so so we need to know why that's important. Thought I would bring the entire class down. So, I'm not a scientist, but I've read a couple books. So... (laughs) One thing to know about dopamine is it activates pleasure-related scepters in our brains. And it teaches us to associate certain rewards with certain behaviors. Right? Dopamine makes us feel excited and we like to feel excited. So any experience that triggers the release of dopamine is therefore something that we'll want to experience again. So what happens if your brain learns that checking your phone results in a reward, a new like, a new story, a new post... You start associating, I check this, I get a reward. We start to crave it because dopamine's being released. We become addicted to it, and we become addicted to the feeling it provides. This is why, I'm wondering if you you can relate to this, your phone might be sitting next to you, and you just have an urge reward. And what we don't realize is that behind the scenes are technology designers who deliberately manipulate our dopamine responses to make it difficult for us to stop using the products. Any Instagram users in here willing to admit it? Yeah, I am. So Instagram's created a code that deliberately holds back on showing users likes so that it can deliver a bunch of them in a sudden rush at the most effective moment possible. Right, Based on how long you usually spend on their app. So they know you usually spend about seven minutes on Instagram. So right before seven minutes hits, they're going to drop likes and news stories or reels in hopes that you will not leave their app. The founder of Dopamine Labs, yes, that is a real place in California— described it this way. There's an algorithm somewhere that predicted, hey, for this user right now who is experimental subject 7.9b3, in experiment 231, we think you and millions of other people. And that is happening on every social media application. And then these algorithms that provide us with something different each time we log in, which is the reward that we're seeking. It's why, shockingly, when we go to Google and we search for something, there's going to be an advertisement for an actress that was in a movie we watched last night. How in the world does that happen? I'm not even going to get into today the surveillance that these companies have on us. I'm the farthest thing from a conspiracy theorist, but governments now go to social media for info because we willingly share everything. Another device that uses algorithms to create addiction is a slot machine. Tristan Harris, an ex-Google employee, says, when we pull our phone out of our pocket, we're playing a slot machine to see what notification we got. When we swipe down our finger to scroll the Instagram feed, we're playing a slot machine to see what photo comes next. When we swipe face-specifically designed to deliver rewards in a way that drives compulsive behavior, and that is the technology that is operating on what is in your pocket or in your hand right now you're following in your notes, digital addiction has tragic consequences. Has tragic consequences. And as I say that, and what I'm about to say, I know I'm going to sound like the old guy who walked uphill both ways to school in the snow without shoes. I get it. I'll accept that badge. But I want to share with you what is happening due to our addiction to digital noise. A professor at San Diego State University named Jean Twenge is one of the foremost experts on generational differences in American youth. And she noted a shift in measurements of teenager emotional states that she had never seen before. She said this, young people born between 1995 and 2012, I actually think we can go past 2012 up to current day. A group called teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed, with much of this seemingly due to a massive increase in anxiety disorders. It's not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Digital intake is like a Pandora's box of emotions. Every time we check something or watch something, we open ourselves up to an unpleasant surprise. We get a text that worries us. There's a news story that makes us angry or that we need to hate people who aren't like us. And when we read a news story like that, we enter an echo chamber where we continually get more stories that strengthen our own belief and villainize those who disagree with us. Stock prices make us anxious. A post makes us sad. An article on WebMD convinces us we have two hours left to live. We compare our lives with someone else's life that's long for community. We were made for community. We all want connection and to be loved. And we now look for it on digital devices. And it never satisfies. We go back to it again and again, looking for more and more connection, and we can never find it. To quote Catherine Price again, if you wanted to invent a device that could rewire our minds if you wanted to create a society of people who were perpetually distracted, isolated, and overtired, if you wanted to weaken our memories and damage our capacity for focus and deep thought, if you wanted to reduce empathy, encourage self-absorption, and redraw the lines of social etiquette, you'd likely end up with a smartphone. Thank you for coming to Cherry Hills today. We are so glad you are here for this uplifting message. There's got to be a better way. And at that time, Rome was the figurative center of the world. Rome was the most extensive political and social structure in Western civilization. It was the center of culture, music, art, architecture, food, invention, transportation, and finance. In a time where most of the world was agricultural and rural, Rome was filled with noise. And the letters to the Romans can be broken down into two parts. Chapters 1 to 11 are a masterpiece of doctrine. I mean, who God is and what he's done for us and who we are in light of that. And then chapters 12 to 16 are filled with commands on how to live in light of who God is and what he's done. Commands on how we give ourselves to the way of Jesus. And that's why Paul starts chapter 12 with these transition words. The the word therefore is a transition word. And he says, you can follow on the screen, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This therefore, in in view of who God is and what he's done for us, in view of his mercy, which means not getting what we deserve, in view of that, build your life and be motivated by the love of Jesus who gave himself on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Paul is saying all of life is to be lived in worship, and worship is our response to what we value most. So Paul, if you're following your notes, begins chapter 12 by saying, in response to God's mercy, give yourself wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. In our language at Cherry Hills, we would say give yourself fully to the way of Jesus. And then after this first encompassing verse of give everything, translations of Romans chapter 12, verse two with you so we can gain a greater imagination for what Paul was instructing. I'm gonna have you read each of these with me. Would you read the first gray box on your notes? This is the NIV translation. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The second box is the New Living Translation. Let's read that together. It says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then finally, the the third box is the Phillips translation. It is from England, so its spelling is a little bit different. But let's read this together. It says, Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within. There's a negative command, and then there's a positive command. The negative, don't be conformed, don't copy, do not be molded into the pattern of this world. Paul's writing to these Christians at Rome, and he's encouraging them not to think like the outside world. They lived in a culture that told them to worship idols and false gods, and Paul is encouraging them to live counter-culturally to look different than what they saw around them. And then Paul lays out in chapters 12 to 16 that that this Roman way of thinking was radically out of step with a biblical vision of life. And if Paul was writing to us today, I think there'd be some verses in there talking about the pattern of this world as it relates to digital noise and the idols and false gods that we have created out of our devices. Don't be conformed that way. And then he says... Positively, but be trained. Metamorphosis. Author John Ortberg changed my life when I was a young Christian. When he wrote that morphing, transforming, was the primary goal of the spiritual life. What he meant by that is the goal of our spiritual lives wasn't just to take in more information or be a good person. Or just to memorize more scripture or to do good things. Those things are important. But the goal was to be transformed, to become more like Jesus. The images of a caterpillar turning to a butterfly, a completely new creation. And the New Testament is filled with new creation language. When we become followers of Jesus, we become new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. We are Something supernatural happens when we follow Jesus, that our heart of stone is replaced by a heart of flesh. That is now capable of feeling and thinking and acting different. Jesus. But have you noticed? When we become followers of Jesus. Even though we are new creations. We keep our minds and we bring with us the thought patterns from the past. I mean, it's why we still struggle with certain things. It's why we're tempted by things over and over and over. God doesn't necessarily zap our minds and erase everything from our past. Our minds need to be renewed and rewired. So, So we're new creations positionally, but we're commanded to continually be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And what I think is interesting, the phrase, be transformed, is what they call a passive imperative verb. I always like to throw some grammar in here for my fellow word nerds. A passive imperative means it's a command. Like, Like, we are commanded to do this, but a passive imperative means the renewing is done by someone or something else. It's a losing battle. If you're following in your notes, what passive imperative means is, as we spend time with Jesus... He changes us from the inside out. It's really hard to see life change if we're not spending time with Jesus. We submit to the Holy Spirit. We follow Jesus. We spend time with him and he begins to bring about change in our lives. And we we spend time with him and his thoughts become our thoughts and his mind becomes our mind and we're given new desires that line up with his character and his way. The renewing of our minds is critical if we want to become more like Jesus and grow in our faith. John Mark Comer has a wonderful quote about this. He says, What you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. In the end, your life. it's it's so important. You can see this in the first gray box on your notes. The, the purpose of this transformed self and renewed mind is that you may test and approve the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The, the goal of being renewed and renewing our minds is that we will be able to recognize what honors God and then set our lives in a direction to obey him. But this is important. To know his will, we have to know him. And to know him, we need to spend time with him, and spending time with him means we need to determine what we give our attention to. We live in a culture that spends most of its time distracted by digital noise that leads to isolation, anxiety, and depression. And if you're following in your notes, the way of Jesus is countercultural and leads to peace and joy. If you notice, That you have a lack of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. If if there's a lack of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And by the way, the fruits of the Spirit are passive imperatives too. We don't bring them about. God brings them about in us. If you find that there's just a lack in your life, your digital intake may be influencing you more than you think. There, There might be other reasons, but maybe one reason is the amount of attention we're giving to Jesus. So I want to finish by asking two questions. The, the first question is a question that Jesus asked frequently, and it's a question that Steve has asked the first two weeks of this series. What do you want? What do you want? It's a question of self-examination. How did you score on the smartphone test earlier? Or do you notice that after spending time on screens, you feel or act different? Do you notice that screens distract you from spending time with God or other people? Does your life look countercultural when it comes to digital? No, for a better way, then the second question we need to answer if you're following your notes is what needs to change? What needs to change? And I want to invite you to leave your notes out for just a minute. You may want to take a, a couple more notes here. I want to offer several practical applications for you to consider and you can read more about these in your practice guide. You can pick up a practice guide on the way out uh, any of the doors today but maybe you can experiment with what I'm about to say. Maybe you don't implement everything all at once. Maybe you experiment but I, I want to encourage you and challenge you to do several phones to, uh, several things to simplify your digital life and intentionally give your attention to Jesus. So the first Are you ready? Prepare yourself. (laughs) Remove all social media apps from your phone. This eliminates the knee-jerk response to boredom. Because when we have our phone next to us and there's social media on it, the hit of dopamine goes into control and we reach for our phone and mindlessly scroll for a long time get rid of that temptation, get rid of social media apps on your phone. And, and I, I just want to say this, this is a little bit outside of number one, parents, parents, as a pastor and a shepherd of our church, as a fellow parent, don't allow your kids to have a smartphone until they're teenagers or maybe junior high school, where you need to know where they are or be in contact with them. Do not get your elementary school kid a smartphone. And if they already have one, I would highly encourage you to have a conversation about removing it from their life. In addition, I'd encourage you to have your teenagers or junior hires or high schoolers, if they do have a smartphone, do not allow them to have social media on their phone. If they already have it, get rid of it. They do not need access to that. They can actually use a phone phone to communicate, to text or call you. That's what they need on their phone. They need to be able to text or call you. Our eight-year-old asks every week if he can have a phone. Nope. But everybody in my class has one. Sorry, I'm not everybody else's parent. Our teenagers have phones that are parent-protected with very few apps. We just lifted those boundaries last year for our oldest. Please protect your kids from the digital noise in our culture. Please. All right, let me get off that soapbox for just a minute. Number two, are you ready for this one? Turn off all notifications on your phone, except those that are critical, like text messages from your spouse, child, family member, maybe work. Because every time your phone dings, you get a hit of dopamine. And so remove the notifications. You know what's really healthy? It's good to be reminded we're not that important and that we're not needed at a moment's notice. And we remove these dings, and we give our families and coworkers and coffee dates and lunch dates the attention they deserve instead of being distracted and reaching for our phone when a notification comes in. Third, go through your phone and get rid of all optional apps for 30 days. Get, get rid of all your apps, and then reintroduce them, starting with a blank slate. Reset your digital life with a more intentional set of behaviors because the more apps you have, the more time we're going to spend going through them. If you need an app for work or health reasons, it's fine. But most of our apps are optional and they just take up our time. So then whatever you reintroduce, make sure it supports something you value. It has to support a value. And then because simplicity, all, it has a, a subtraction to it, which is what we just talked about, but simplicity also, also has an addition to it. If you do these things, you're going to find that you have more free time on your hands. And I want to suggest that once we have this subtraction, then we need to intentionally spend time with Jesus in the process of renewing our minds. In the amount of time we're not being influenced by digital noise, we can spend intentional time in word and prayer or reading books about spiritual formation that might help us or just reading a book for fun. Around Christmas, I noticed I was wasting a lot of time on my phone and on apps. I would check Twitter to get caught up on news. I'd see something about Illinois basketball, so I would Google that, and then that would lead to five more clicks. And then I would go to Illinois schedule to see if they had tickets left that I had no intention of buying. And then after I was done with Illinois' official website, I would go to an app called TickPick that doesn't have fees to their tickets, and I would see if their tickets were any cheaper than Illinois' tickets, even though I had no intention of ever buying tickets. (laughs) And I would come up like 30 minutes later, 45 minutes later, and resurface. Or, Or I would notice that I would go to an appointment, I would go to a chiropractor or doctor appointment, and I would just pick up that phone and start going through social media, or searching for things on the internet, because I was bored. And and I would check social media to to see what the guy was doing from high school that I hadn't talked to in 25 years, or or if I posted something. I mean, this is just embarrassing, but if I posted something, I'd go back to see how many people liked it. Did more people like it five minutes later? Did more people like it 10 minutes later? I just, it wasn't a healthy habit, and I didn't like being owned by my phone. And so studying for this series has been convicting. Around the new year, around Christmas, I did what I just encouraged you to do. I removed social media from my phone. I disabled most notifications. I disabled uh, notifications. I deleted optional apps. Listen, I I still check Facebook on my laptop, but it's mindful now. It's not just picking up something because I'm bored. And because I'm still addicted to my phone, I check the weather app about 25 times a day. I can tell you, I can tell you what the weather is across the country. But I've, I've had several appointments and what I've begun to notice is I either take a book with me to read or instead of going to social media or Google, I, I will open the Bible app and read a few chapters of the Bible or I'll pray for family or friends. I'm not distracted as much by my phone when I'm at home. I don't find myself eating dinner and waiting for the ding to go off. And when the ding goes off, I get up from the table and go to check it to see if somebody needs me because I'm so important. I'm not comparing myself to things. I'm not comparing our church to other churches on social media. And my fear of missing out has gone down. I think I feel better. And what I've noticed, it's taken a couple weeks, but when my cell phone sits next to me or when I leave it in the kitchen now, there's not as strong of a craving to pick it up. It's taken a few weeks, but there's not as strong of a craving. It's almost, there's had to be a digital detox for that to happen. And so friends, we we have the opportunity to live counterculturally, to be people who give our attention to Jesus and are influenced by him to live his way. May, I just want to say may we be a people who give our best attention to Jesus and renew our minds by spending time with him. Let's simplify our lives, simplify our digital noise and give our attention to him. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we, uh, we come to you today. We're grateful that we can talk about important issues like this. We're grateful for your word that gives us a better way, that shows us how life can be more meaningful in relationship to you, in relationship with others. But we also name, this is so hard because of the culture that we live in. So, God, would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? Would we, would we have the discipline and the habit patterns to simplify the digital noise in our lives? And then would you turn that into a desire and a delight to spend more time with you? God, please influence us. Help us shine your light for other people to see. Would you renew our minds? Through your word, through prayer, through friendships, God, we want to become more like Jesus. Please help us. Please help us. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody agreed and said, "Amen." Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church, you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.